Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Pod Cemetery. My name is Chris, and before we get started today, I'd just like to point out that there's a little bit of an audio hiccup in today's episode where we had the microphone in front of us, but we were actually recording audio through the laptop. Now, I haven't tried to fix it at all at this point, but I'm going to do my best. Just keep in mind that the audio is going to be kind of weird until there will be a transition point where you will know right away that we found out what was going on and fixed the problem for the last 10 minutes or so of the episode. So, sorry. With that in mind, I hope you guys enjoy this week's episode of Pod Cemetery. It's a double feature. on Black Christmas. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. I wanted to talk about something, actually. I was thinking about this on my drive home today. Yeah? You know what I'm kind of excited about, but still looks mediocre? What? New Mutants. We may get a chance to talk about comic books on this podcast. But we're talking about horror movies. New Mutants... Oh. Is a horror movie. Stupid. <laughs> set in the Fox slash Marvel Mutants universe Stupid. with the X-Men and all that. Stupid. You know you're going to see it anyway. We're going to see it. It doesn't mean I'm excited Doesn't it have it. somebody you like in it? No. It has Jonathan. Oh, it has somebody we don't like, right? <laughs> Creepy Jonathan from Stranger Things. <laughs> Not the actor. I don't care about the actor. But the character of Jonathan really pisses me off. So. We still haven't done Stranger Things. And now second, second season's already out. Our we, we can do both seasons. Taking advantage of it is out the window. We can do both seasons. Maybe when we have a time to... Uh, we, we, we need to fill it we'll with new stuff. We'll just do the whole stuff. season... General. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do oh no, not every episode. episode. No, that'd be dumb. No, the whole season. We are in December now. I'm timing this properly. Yeah. This will be our first podcast of December, so we're gonna get right in it with holiday uh, horror movies. Yes. This one being Black Christmas, directed by Bob Clark and written by Roy Moore. No, not that Roy Moore. So, in Black Christmas. Barb and Jess are lonely sorority sisters who are having a Christmas party in their sorority house during the Christmas break. But there's a mad killer who terrorizes the women by making threatening phone calls. As the body count mounts, the women realize that the killer may be closer than they thought. I'm really excited for this one. A uh, little preamble. This is one of, not the, but it's one of the early slasher movies. This actually predates Halloween. And John Carpenter talked about it being one of his influences for Halloween, including the point of view shot, which we're going to see a lot of in this movie. Yes. And it's one of the first of the seasonal horror films. You could easily make the argument that this and all the other movies that came out this year, 1974, was a big year for horror. It's the same year that the Texas Chainsaw Massacre came out. Yes. And a couple of other ones that I can't think of what they are. <laughs> yes. It's one of the first to use that killer's POV, the first being Peeping Tom, and uh, where it's literally the killer is holding a camera. This is the this is one of the first ones where you're going to get like 
you see out of their eyes. And we'll talk about how they actually do that. But it's also the first seasonal slasher film. Like I said, there's Halloween. Friday the 13th, which you could argue isn't a seasonal slasher, Prom Night, Mother's Day, Graduation Day, My Bloody Valentine, Silent Night, Deadly Night. That's another Christmas horror movie in April Fool's Day are some of the really big ones. Uh, and we'll probably be getting to all of those when their seasons come up. But this time around, it is 1974's Black Christmas. If you haven't seen it already, go ahead and pause it now and watch it. And we'll be right back. A high school girl's been murdered. Mr. Harrison's daughter is missing. And now at the house where she lives, the other girls are getting obscene phone calls. There was a little girl murdered over in the park tonight. Yes, I heard. Your phone's ringing. Hello? Who's there? Remember those idyllic scenes out of your childhood? Crisp winter nights, star bright, sleigh bells, crackling yule logs, candlelight glistening off of shimmering Christmas trees, chestnuts roasting over open fires, carolers beneath snow-covered window ledges. Remember those. Remember them well. After Black Christmas, they'll never be the same again. Black Christmas. If this movie doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. Kelsey. Yes. What do you want to say about Black Christmas? I love this movie. Yeah. I highly recommend it. I if We've you, seen it a few times. It, yeah, if you're not, if you haven't watched it, if you're just skipping ahead, I really recommend that you stop and watch it before we ruin it for you. Right, because we will absolutely be ruining this movie and it's something to ruin. You should go ahead and watch it. It's it's way better than we were saying this after the movie. It's way better than it has any right to be. Yeah, it's way better than it needs to be. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. This is uh potentially apocryphal. But there are a few uh, little stories here uh, surrounding the release of Black Christmas, including the fact that it was Elvis Presley's favorite horror movie. I, I already knew that, but yeah. He had a tradition where he would watch it every Christmas, and he's obviously been dead for a while now, but apparently his family continue to keep that tradition alive. Also, Olivia Hussey, the British woman... She was potentially going to be cast in the film Roxanne. But she wasn't. No, she was not. Yeah. But she was potentially going to be cast in it, and she got a chance to meet Steve Martin, who's the star. He plays, what's the dude's name with the long nose? Bergerac? Cyrano de Bergerac, yes. <laughs> it's basically a retelling of Cyrano de Bergerac. And when they met, Steve Martin said, Oh my God, Olivia, you were in one of my all-time favorite movies. And she thought it was Romeo and Juliet. She famously plays Juliet in the 1968 version, which if you saw Romeo and Juliet in school, it's probably the version that you saw. Unless I'm your teacher and, <laughs> and I showed you the Leonardo DiCaprio one. Romeo plus Juliet, which is, which is totally inappropriate far, for school. <laughs> which is far more superior and far more interesting and it has Leo. You can't be more superior. You're either superior or you're not. Shut up. English teacher. <laughs> she thought it was Romeo and Juliet and, uh, of actually, it was Black Christmas. He'd apparently seen it 27 times, and he was really excited to talk to her about it. 
But had they met after this, maybe just a few years later, it could have been a different movie beside Romeo and Juliet and beside Black Christmas. What else, Kelsey, has Olivia Hussey been in? I don't know. That we would know. I don't know. She is Audra in It. Oh, that's right. She is the British girlfriend, wife? She's his wife. She's the wife. Oh my God, you've read the book and you've seen the movie. It's totally unimportant if they're married. She is the wife (laughs) of, who's basically Stephen King, the character of Bill. Yes, uh, when they're adults. So if you saw the movie It uh, and part two isn't out yet, uh, you might not know, but Bill ends up Getting married, married that's given away right Audra. away at the beginning. And she plays a semi-integral part in the story. Not really. <laughs> Her part is so dumb. <laughs> She's in a lot of really good movies, so Very I wanted good. to point that out. Are so, we saying that the original It is good? Is that what you're saying? Because you said she's in a lot of great movies. <laughs> anyway, we're gonna Damn do- it, you have me trapped! <laughs> We're going to do that next month, so... <laughs> next month. You'll hear all about it then. In January? Yeah. Okay, you have it planned for January? All right. Awesome. I'm really excited for that. I'll say that. I won't say it's great. I'll say I'm really excited for it. <laughs> <laughs> One of the other bits of Apocrypha may or may not be true. Apparently, this was originally... Uh, or Sorry, it was changed to Silent Night, Evil Night in the U.S. for a short time because producers thought... People would think that Black Christmas was a black exploitation film, it being the 70s and all. Uh, but it didn't do well. Being called Silent Night, Evil Night, and so they changed it back to Black Christmas, and then it eventually became a success. Silent Night, Deadly Night is another I was going to say, that's another movie we're going to watch. Yeah, we're going to watch it. <laughs> It'll be okay. And there's another bit of Apocrypha that is more about the ending, so I'll get to that when we actually get to the ending of the film. So, what do you want to talk about, Kels? As we talked about, they get obscene phone calls, which give you a glimpse into who the killer is and what the motivations are for the killer. Yes. But I'm just going to say it right now. So, again, if you haven't seen the movie, you better watch it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We do not find out who the killer is. Good timing. Very good timing. Uh, because that was the apocrypha bit that I was going to talk about, which is that apparently they had scripted two different endings to the movie. Let's get there at the end. Okay. So the only reason I'm saying that is because the phone calls that we want, that I wanted to talk about, are going to give us glimpses into who the killer is. Okay, we never yeah, actually yeah. find out who it is. That's well, all I well, wanted to say about okay. the ending so all right. far. <laughs> yeah, it has a very ambiguous ending. We don't even know if one of the characters dies in the end. We're not there yet. Stop. It's ambiguous. You said, anyway. you said we don't know who the killer is. I'm saying we don't know if one of the characters dies. So these phone calls that they get. Yes. Every time every time she answers the phone. Olivia Hussey's character, yeah. It's like an old person answering <laughs> yes. the phone. The very first time, and it happens within the first 10 minutes of the movie. Yeah. She answers it. Oh, no, wait. Oh, the first time, it's not to the killer. It's to one of the sister's parents. Yeah. The sister's mom. And she, she answers it. She goes, who? <laughs> what? Pardon? Huh? Hello? Pardon? Who? It's like an old lady. What? <laughs> who is this? <laughs> what? Who is? Who are you? Every time. And the phone rings a lot in this yes. movie. A lot of times. Huh? 
a lot of the movie is them waiting for the phone to ring, so it's constantly. <laughs> Hello? Pardon? Who? <laughs> like she's distressed every time. I get it. She's supposed to be distressed, Not the right? First time. Right, yeah. But I mean they've been getting these they calls have for been a while. Calls. We do but like she is not like if you're worried, you just pick it up and you go nothing. You just listen to see if it's the pervert, right? Like that's all you need to do. Or you go, what? Or hello? You don't go, ha huh? Hello? Pardon? Who pardon? Who are you? <laughs> Anyway, okay, so we open up on a Christmas party at the sorority house, and as Chris said, we get the killer's perspective. So we see that the killer climbs into the attic yes. of their sorority house. Mm -hmm. He even gets out of the attic and walks around upstairs. And, a couple times. Yeah. But so we never actually see his face, but we do hear his voice, and it's not one person's voice, right? It's multiple voice. Yeah, so they think, oh man, could one person be making all those voices? The answer is no. They actually get multiple people to do the voices, the director. But according to the film, it's all just one guy. Yes, but in reality, you'll notice that they're talking over each other. There's different, like, yeah, one could sound different than the other. One person could do that. But they're like talking over each other and that would be very difficult to impersonate. Basically, we've got this Christmas party. We find out that one of the sorority sisters who had plans to go and meet up with her mother for the holidays is no longer going to do that. And because of that, she forces a couple of the girls. She doesn't force them, but it's very... She coerces them, coerces yeah. Them. It's very heavily implied that if they don't stay with her, they'll be in trouble. Yeah, she, like come, she gets off the phone and is like, All right, sisters, which of you is coming with me? Get right here. Right now, we're going skiing. Or your shit. Yes, she curses a lot. Yes. Um, and this is... This is one this of the, the first... the original Lois Lane. Yes, it is. The it's, actress who plays um, Margot Kidder. Uh, this movie, with all the language that Barb has, who is Margot Kidder, it, it has the prestige of being one of the first American films to say the word... Are we actually saying <laughs> the word? Can we just say the yeah. C word? Okay. To say the... C word. Yeah, she is We're the not going to say one. it. She's the first one, but she, We'll drop an F bomb, but not the C bomb. No. <laughs> she curses a lot. She's obviously an alcoholic, probably because she had a shitty upbringing. That's about right. as much as we get about it. And it doesn't help. At one point in the movie, she gets really drunk and accuses everyone of thinking that she's responsible for the first death, which we're going to get to here. It's obvious that she's just projecting and that she feels responsible. And yes. she copes with this kind of guilt the same way she copes with all the problems she has in her life, which is by drinking. She's obviously an alcoholic. So she gets a couple of the girls to stay behind with her. She tries to get one girl to do it, but she upsets the girl because the girl basically says, no, I'm going to go meet with my family. Yeah, I have plans. Already. And so she goes upstairs all by herself as opposed to waiting with the rest of the, uh -huh. the girls. And that is what leads to her getting killed first. And this girl is supposed to be like the virgin sweet one. So it's interesting that she's the first one killed off. I think that disqualifies this as being the first 
slasher because... Well, it sets up a lot of slasher tropes, but the virginal thing is not one of them. Yeah, so she's the sweet, good one who ends up getting killed first because she's by herself. And And it's a really neat scene, actually, where the killer is behind a plastic dry cleaning bag or what have you that's around a dress or something similar in the closet. And she's like, is that... Is somebody there? You know, and she gets closer and closer and the camera gets closer and closer. And you can't tell that someone's there until all of a sudden the bag comes towards the camera and that's him suffocating her. I thought that was a really neat moment. This movie, like we said, it's way better than it needs to be. The movie does a lot with framing and a lot with camera tricks. That's one of them. And it'll come up constantly that they did a lot of interesting things that were totally unnecessary for this horror flick. Right. So the cameraman built a rig and it was a shoulder mount for it. So he could walk freely around with this giant piece of camera equipment on his shoulder and climb up the ladder and climb up the lattice outside and still get that point of view shot of somebody actually doing that with a with a custom made shoulder mount that they did just for this movie. So, yeah, they, they kind of went all out for this thing. So he ends up choking her to death with the bag, and then he puts her in the attic upstairs, which is where he's staying, and he puts her on a rocking chair. And we get a lot of shots of her in the rocking chair, mm-hmm. and it is legitimately creepy. Yeah. They do a lot to make you really creeped out. Like, the different shots. Like, there's one shot of her just in the rocking chair, rocking back and forth. There's one of her up against the window. There's one of her holding a doll. There's one where he's talking to her. There's one where the cat is licking the bag. Yeah. Yeah, uh And, I mean, you'd think that you'd get bored of seeing the same dead person, but you don't because they do something different with it every time, which is what I try to tell my drama kids. (laughs) If you have to say the same line over and over again, how about you say it differently every time? (laughs) She apparently poked holes so she could breathe. So she could breathe, yeah, in the mouth and in the nose. I was wondering if it was just a dummy. And she would hold her breath while they were actually filming. Apparently she was a swimmer, so she could hold her breath for a really long time, but they didn't need to, like, take it off of her between takes. She would just breathe through it, and then she would breathe in, which would force the bag to go into her mouth the way we see it and stay that way when she's holding her breath. It's pretty neat. Very interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, she is not our main character. She's not the focus of the film. And as you say, she is the virginal one. And it's interesting that early on in the slasher genre or subgenre, she gets killed off first as the more innocent and pure one. The one who is the main character, Jess, Jessica, she is the one that not only isn't virginal, but she's pregnant and planning on getting an abortion. Like, and planning on breaking up with her boyfriend because she has too many things that she wants to do. And I think this movie really, it, it's a product of its time. It was the 70s and it yeah. was when women were finally saying, no, mm-hmm. I have things I want to do with my and life. And her boyfriend did not take that well at all. And we'll get into that in, in, in <laughs> a little bit later. I would also like to point out that at this time, this first night in the movie, her sweater looks like hands grabbing her tits. You're right. She is wearing a, a, a thing that looks like... Yeah. Giant hands grabbing her breasts. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Oh, she's also wearing a cross while she's talking about the abortion. Yeah. yeah, I noticed that too. So before the virginal girl goes upstairs, they get a phone call. Hello? 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 Our main chick calls him the, the Mona. Hey, quiet. It's him again. The Mona. The Mona. She's British for some reason. It's the Mona. Yes. Um, Who? 
Hello? So she's on the phone with him and she's listening and she calls all the other girls over to listen because it's something that they've, that's been happening to them for a while now. And there's a lot going on in this scene. There's a lot. There's a lot. So we get our first glimpse into the murderer who, should we just put all of that stuff together? Let's call all him. the things that we learned about him? Sure. Should let's, we do it now or should we wait? Let's do it now. We'll call him Billy. <laughs> that uh, is his name. Well... He's never actually referred to as Billy. The only time we hear the name Billy is when he says it. And the assumption is is that this is something that he heard a lot as a child and he had abusive parents or something like that. And that's kind of doesn't sound like what it. contributed. Does not sound like it to me that he had abusive parents. Sounds like he's been messed up since he was born. Shall so, I tell you all the things that I learned about him? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Now, I, I could go through all of my notes and put them all together, but I'm just going to go off of my memory. Sure. As far as we get to ever hear, his name is Billy. He has a sister named Agnes who is younger than him. He did something terrible to his sister. We can imagine that it was molestation. He goes. He does different voices, like we said. Sometimes he does just weird sounds. Sometimes he says obscene things about having sex with the sorority girls. Mm-hmm. But then the more intricate that it becomes, we learn that he did something, like I said, to his sister Agnes. And his parents get really upset about it. I mean, there's several different things that they say. One that he says several times, um, what your mother and I must know is... Mm-hmm. What your mother and I must know is... And then later it's said, um, you left Billy alone with the baby? <laughs> And then other times it's him talking to Agnes and he says, Agnes, please don't tell them what we did. Agnes, don't you tell what we did, Agnes. Oh, man, you got a lot more than I did. Yeah. So all of that combined, you can make up a story in your head saying that he molested his sister. His parents found out about it. And then he killed his sister based mm. on the different, the very, very different things that we hear throughout the film. But we never get to know. Okay. Because this goddamn We're movie. We're going to get to it. We're going to get to this right now. Doesn't tell you anything. It really bothers Kelsey that we never find out who he is. I think, personally, that that's beside the point. <laughs> it is entirely beside the point. Because... You know, you shoo in something like what explanation is going to be good enough? Isn't it much more interesting to get context clues and form that story in your brain? No! There, There is a fine line where it's just laziness to be creepy and but then not have to do any of the hard work of explaining motive. Or this is a person with no motive and giving somebody an explanation as to why they're doing it is attempting to justify their actions. And there is no justification for these actions. He just does it. You know what you also don't get an explanation for? Why does Michael Myers do any of the stuff he does? Because he's evil. They say that. He's just pure This guy is nuts. Why does a crazy person do anything that they do? It's the same thing. Evil is evil. Crazy is crazy. And you could say this is an indictment on all crazy people, which would be unfair. It's just this particular crazy person who's obviously fucked up. Well, our second movie listeners is the up uh, is the remake of Black Christmas. Uh-huh. We've neither me nor Chris has ever seen it. No. 
And I am just hoping, 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 hoping that they will give us a killer and give us a backstory. Yes. Anyway. So when the studio saw the original cut of the film, they were also upset that there was no explanation and that it was left ambiguous. So they asked him, they asked Bob Clark to change the ending of the film. They proposed that the cops leave Jess alone with Chris. And we should probably explain Chris is played by Art Hindle, who is Frank from The Brood. Yeah. He's the main character from The Brood. It was exciting. As soon as we saw him, we were like, he looks like the guy from The Brood. (laughs) He totally is, Art Hindle. And he plays the boyfriend of Claire, the first person who was murdered. First girl gets killed. And he is left alone with her for a little bit at the end of the movie. And Jess is supposed to wake up. He says to her, Agnes, don't tell them what we did. And then he kills her. Bob Clark refused and left the ending that way. That's what the studio executives wanted. That would make no sense. Apparently, though, the writer and Bob Clark also developed alternate endings where it could have been the other boyfriend, Jess's boyfriend. And that's the fake ending that you're given and theoretically could actually be the real ending if you want it to be the real ending that he is the murderer. It cannot be. Did you miss the part where she killed him? Yeah. Okay, so... And then what happens What happens after she kills him? Nothing. No, we there's hear a phone him call. talk. No, there's a phone call. Yeah, but we hear him talk, too. And, no, the phone just rings. Pretty sure he says something at the end. I don't think so. I'm pretty sure. There's a reason why I, I know... I don't... Okay, so now I can't remember it exactly, but I'm pretty damn sure that he says something. He, like, he... He... He goes back up to the attic and says something before the phone starts ringing. I'm pretty sure that happens. Mm, okay. We are known, we know definitively that it was not her boyfriend at the end of the film. And I'm okay with that because that's really shitty. Not that he was a great guy because he really was No, he was really awful and creepy. And but he was really, he, really bad. It could easily have been him. Okay, so let's discuss their relationship right now. Yeah. Jess, our main girl, like we said, is very women's lib. She wants all these things in her life, and getting pregnant is going to stand in her way. Right, and she even tells her boyfriend that, listen, just because you changed what was important to you and you decided you're not going to go to music school anymore, why does that mean that I have to give up on my dreams? I'm quitting the conservatory and we're getting married. Do you remember when we first met? You told me about you wanting to be a concert pianist. How it was your greatest dream. And I told you about some of the things that I wanted to do. I still want to do those things. You can't ask me to drop everything I've been working for and give up all my ambitions because your plans have changed. Yeah, you go, girl. However, that being said, I'm totally with her on a lot of the stuff that she does and says. Mm Mm-hmm. The one thing I'm really not for is her telling him. Okay, so he's he's in the music school, and he's got some big audition. Yeah. I don't know what for. I would assume it's to be a concert pianist, mm-hmm. which is his ultimate dream. Yeah. And he's been, according to him, he's been doing nothing for the past four days but practicing. Yeah. The day of the audition, she goes and tells him, hey, by the way, I'm pregnant and I'm getting an abortion. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Like, how shitty is that? You couldn't have waited another day? What did it matter? You're getting an abortion. Right. Who cares? It's a day. It's but not going to change Except things. for the fact that she was planning on leaving, 
and she was going to get the abortion over the Christmas break, they wouldn't have seen each other. This was kind of their last opportunity to, which is why it was so important to him to see her that night. I agree. I don't care. It is, it is messed up. It's really shitty. But honestly, I think it's no excuse for him to perform as poorly as he does and then go as fucking mental as he does. Chris, you, you, okay. So in case you don't know listeners, Chris and I both used to be actors, not on, not on a, not like on a big scale, like in in school and stuff. But, But beside the point, you know how bad, you know how nervous you get before an audition. Yeah. If my boyfriend broke up with me the day I was having some big audition, I'd probably fuck it up, too. He's also, like, 35. (laughs) That's not the point! (laughs) He is the oldest one in the entire cast of children. It is super messed up, what she does. I don't think it's nearly as messed up as what he does just to the piano. Right? I wrote down, is that yours? It's not. Pretty sure you're going to have to pay it's for not. that. It's <laughs> not. Yeah, no, he, there's no cameras. Nobody's going to know he did it. <laughs> I guess that's true. Right. But it's fuck. The dude obviously has issues. So they could have very easily rewritten the ending to make it be him. But I think that's shitty because it's saying that he's not allowed to feel upset. He's absolutely allowed to feel upset. He's absolutely allowed to not want her to get this abortion. It's something completely different to demand that she not. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you and there. Blame, and blame her when his audition goes poorly. I think that's fucked up. I think he, I think he has every right to I think, blame her for that. I, I think the situation that's going on is much more important than this audition. There are going to be more auditions, except he gives up. He decides he had this one bad audition and his girlfriend won't marry him yeah, when no, he wanted to a do child. a shotgun ma- wedding. Right, so I don't child. I don't feel bad for him at all. But the character, remember, the character is supposed to be like, what, 21, 22? Mm-hmm. You have to remember what it was like back then. Yeah, no, no, I, I, absolutely. I can imagine being that upset. I can imagine ruining an audition like that and thinking that it's the end of the world. Sure. If we had seen her do it the day after, and mm-hmm. he responded the same way, I'd be just as upset as you are. But she is a total bitch. It's <laughs> such a shitty thing. <laughs> nah, I, I I agree. The timing could have been better, but however, I don't. I, I think there's enough on her that we don't need to worry about how precious she is about the timing to make him feel better about it. She's going through something that's much more complex and is much more emotional and has a much more potentially devastating emotional effect than he does, which is why I don't think he has any right to put himself in a position that makes it seem like he's the victim. I think they both fucked up. Sure. I'll I'll give you that. (laughs) All right, so... That was a fun little side tangent. (laughs) There's a lot of stuff in here that is all about how men didn't take women seriously back then. And I, yeah. like I said, it is definitely a product of his time. The girls, when they realize that their sorority sister has gone missing, they also, oh, this is such a terrible moment. This is all the way back at the very first conversation that they have with the moaner that we get to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to bring it up then. We were talking about it. So she gets off the phone and the virginal girl before she dies says... You know, you really shouldn't provoke him. I really don't think you should provoke somebody like that, Barb. Yeah. Which really upsets me because it's like, hey, no, I'm pretty sure this guy is harassing you. Who the fuck cares what you say to him? He's the one that started it. Right. He's the one that should be in trouble. But, so f- that girl represents 
what women are supposed to be like. And, and, and like as angry as I was at her, then we have Lois Lane say probably one of the worst things you could possibly say. Because somebody brings up the fact that, come on, Barb, you remember um, one of the town girls got raped. Did you know that town girl was raped a couple of weeks ago? Darling, you can't rape a townie. Oh, it's hard. Oh, you, well, you are you are supposed to dislike Barb. Now, back in the 70s, it probably wasn't as awful to hear. <laughs> Uh, and it was just played off as a joke, like an extreme joke, sure. But nowadays you could like if you want to instantly make a character a bad person in the eyes of the audience, make them do a joke like that, because that is that is a step too far. Yeah. <laughs> but I would say I do want to I do want to actually mention something about that. I think there is a difference between the should be and the is. And say you're in a hostage situation. You have every right to be mad at and scream and yell at your hostage taker. But what is going to get you out of that room alive is more important than you have a right to yell at him. Like, sure, she has the right to tell that guy to screw off. But what is the best thing for her safety? Now, I'm not one of those people that says, you know, just... Just, just stay straight and 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 act right, and you won't need it. And if you get hurt, it's your own fault because you didn't do the things to protect yourself. I'm not a person to say that. Absolutely not. But there's a creep that you think might be dangerous. Provoking him is a bad idea. So the girl gets killed, and the girls, you know, are obviously upset by this. And the dad shows up. Dad's really funny. Yes, yeah, so the the dad... The dad of the virginal girl is supposed to meet his daughter, and the daughter's dead, obviously. Yeah, Claire's dad is a really funny guy. <laughs> so there's funny. a lot of comic relief in this movie. Obviously, there's Barb, who is the abrasive one, Margot Kidder. There's the house mom. Who's also a major alcoholic. Yes, huge alcoholic. <laughs> I mean, she's the hiding alcohol in books in the Every tank of a toilet. Every second she can, she'll take a she'll take a shot. She washes her mouth out with booze. Disgusting. Um, and there is Claire's dad, and he is hilarious. He's the straightener. Obviously, his daughter's the virginal one. So yeah, I did not send my daughter here <laughs> to be exposed to boys. I wrote it down exactly what he said. He says, "I did not send my daughter here to be to do drugs and to pick up boys." Or yeah, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah, I didn't send my daughter here to be drinking and picking up boys. He is great throughout the whole entire thing, and every moment between him and the house mom is just superb. Because the house mom is totally, lets them do whatever they want, uh -huh. does not care. There's images of naked people, there's people throwing up, like, middle fingers, like, there's just, there's all kinds of imagery, and it's obvious that the kids are doing drugs and drinking a whole lot, and yeah. she doesn't care. 
and she's trying to hide it from him, and it's pretty funny. And it's even it even extends beyond that when he's out on the campus and he gets hit by something that the kids are playing with. It's a total Like dick. a Frisbee or a ball or something like that. And the guy's like, oh, sir, I'm so sorry. I should have been watching them closer. And he's like, yes, I should say so, or whatever it is that he says. And he's like, I apologized. <laughs> and then he asks him for help. Like, nothing happened. It's like, dog, you were a pretty big dick to that guy. Oh, thank you. It's okay. I'm sorry. I should have been keeping a better watch on I think so. Yeah, well, I said I was sorry. But so the girls and the father go to the cops, and the cops totally want to brush them off, don't care. And at the same time, there's another girl, another woman, talking about how her daughter has disappeared, and the guy's not really taking it seriously. Yeah. It's not until they go and get the virginal girl's boyfriend to come in, and he is a townie, so he does have a relationship with these the cops, yeah, which uh-huh. they don't. But he comes in, he's like, what the hell? And then all of a sudden, yeah. then the men care. Yeah, and totally. I, and I don't think that the director in any way was trying to say that that's a re- the good thing. Right. He was definitely saying, this is fucked up. Yeah. These cops are just tr- willing to ignore Well, they brush it off as she probably homes. went out with her boyfriend. Now, part of it is that their their excuse to say they, it's probably nothing She is she probably ran off with her boyfriend. And then the boyfriend shows up, they don't have that excuse anymore. Part of it's that. But I think the other part of it is definitely that, oh, a man comes in here and he's giving us what for. Uh, you know, all the women in the world can come in here complaining and worried about their children and their friends and, and whatever. And they're just being hysterical. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a rational explanation. Mm-hmm. The lieutenant is John Saxon, who is the dad, also cop, in Nightmare on Elm Street. Yep. so another person from another horror movie john saxon who is probably one of the biggest actors in this movie he was definitely the biggest name in nightmare on elm street when it came out they end up doing a search party out in the bitter cold in the middle of the night and they find the older woman's daughter and she's dead so obviously they figure out okay we're dealing with a murderer yes something is happening and that's when they take these phone calls very seriously and they need to look for Claire. And then the house mother ends up getting killed, but nobody knows that because she had told them I'm gonna be going away and I probably won't be here when you get home. She gets she goes looking for the cat and she goes into the attic where she finds the cat, but she also finds Claire's body and then he swings this pulley with a hook on it right into her face and and then hangs her up. And there is a lot of tension in this movie. There's a lot of moments where it's very tense. Even when she looks like she does the whole, like, eyes to the right, there's somebody behind me, isn't there? Like, you'd expect her to go, eh, eh, eh. It's still a very tense moment. Now, why she doesn't just jump down when she sees that he's holding that yeah. crane, I don't know. But it's not likely she would have gotten away she's from She's not exactly time. a spry person. No, she's a, she's a large girl. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so that's probably... Part of it. Probably, yeah. And so and so she's dead as well, and the body count is mounting. Mm-hmm. So Barb, at this point, is super, super drunk, and so she's been put to bed. Because she comes out and says the whole, they're at having dinner with Claire's dad there, and she starts talking about how there's a turtle that can have sex 
for three days straight. And she goes on and on about it. And Bizarre. she goes on about the zebras who will do it for 30 seconds and, and et cetera, et cetera. And they're like, Barb, you are drunk. She's like, you think it's my fault that Claire's dead. She's dead. And you think it's and like her dad's right there. So obviously it's really fucked up. And Andrea Martin, who we haven't mentioned yet, she plays Phil. I assume short for Phyllis, but they call her Phil throughout the whole entire thing. Sure uh, yeah, sends her, you know, sends her upstairs and says, Barb, you're drunk. Go to bed. I will add at this point that it's the sea turtle that can have sex for three days. <laughs> she goes upstairs where she passes out drunk and they send the dad home and Phil and Jess are left at home. Alone. And Phil goes to bed because she's freaking out. Yes. It's at this point that somewhere in the timeline, Phil and Barb are both murdered. While Jess is downstairs. Yes. Because Jess is being bombarded with phone calls. Because every time the guy calls, now the cops are tracing the line. I loved those scenes. Doing the manual tracing. Somewhere before everything was digital and after we manually switched lines to make connections between phone numbers it was done by machines physically moving things and so he would need to jump from terminal to terminal to terminal to track what the source phone call is and they mentioned briefly we're gonna get into a uh, we're gonna jump ahead a little bit here but they mentioned briefly that there is a phone upstairs when the guy comes in to check on the phones are there any other lines john saxon says yeah there's one upstairs in the house mother's room but no calls have come in that's not the problem calls coming in so his job the telephone guy is to run from terminal to terminal and report back but none of these phone calls are long enough but they do keep coming in and he keeps making them after he or right before or right after he kills Right. Phil and Barb. Every time he kills someone or he rapes someone, he calls. Yeah. Um, and Wait, rapes. He raped the town girl, is what we imagine. Is what oh, we, right, is what right, we think. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah. don't know for sure. Maybe. Yeah. A lot of it is just implied. We don't even technically know if he's responsible for the death of the girl in the in the woods, but that's the assumption. Right. And so that's what, one of the things I love about this movie is just how much is just creating this atmosphere of uncertainty, which is why I like the ending so much. Anyway, (laughs) so she keeps getting these phone calls, so she's very much um, not paying attention. She is hearing things upstairs, but she is assuming that it is Phil and Barb. At one point, Barb does wake up, and it's an asthma attack, and she says she had a nightmare that someone was coming into her room, which we know was the actual killer. uh Um, But so Jess keeps ignoring the sounds upstairs because she assumes that it's those two. Yeah. And he does. He uh, He kills both Barb and Phil. So, Jess, when they finally discover, oh my god, the call is coming from upstairs. Yes. Which, yes, is just like the babysitter with the caller upstairs. Yeah, that story, that urban legend, mm-hmm. is it comes before this movie. But yes. this movie definitely, like, made it national and mainstream. Mm-hmm. It, it was just a story people told before this, and it was never actually put in anything. So... So the cops try to get her out by not without telling her, but she just keeps saying, like, you know, what's wrong? Oh, well, okay, I'll leave, but I'll go and get Phil and Barb. And they finally say to her, no, he's upstairs. You need to get out now. All right. Now, I want you to do exactly what I tell you without asking any questions, okay? No questions. 
through. Please, Miss Bradford, please just do as I tell you. Okay. No, 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 don't do that, Jess. Jess, the caller is in the house. The calls are coming from the house. Jess! Jess, get up! And don't go up there. And, and she, she does the stupidest can't. thing. She does the, She tries she, to save Phil and Barb, and the, the, the police officer knows they're probably dead already, which mm-hmm. is why he doesn't want to bother with that. Plus, it's more important that they know she's alive, keep, get her to safety, and then the cops can come in and save the other two girls if they're not dead already. But, but she just she can't, can't do, it. do it. She tries to go save them, at which point she gets attacked and chased by, by her boyfriend. By first Billy. Oh. And she runs downstairs and she runs down into the basement and Billy can't get in because she blocks it off. Oh, you're and right. then he leaves. That's at the point where on the outside of the house, the boyfriend's like also banging on the door outside. When he when he finally breaks in physically, he explains it's because he heard her screaming mm-hmm. and wanted like needed to check on her, make sure that she was all right. He probably knew that there was a murder in the forest or whatever, but then he behaves absolutely crazy. Yeah, he's super creepy. Admittedly, he is very very creepy when he's coming up to her and she and she he's. Just kind of like every question that she says to him, he's just like, no, it's fine. And it is. It's very odd and very creepy. But and he won't stop coming towards her, even though she's holding uh, a poker. A, um, but it's super upsetting that she ends up killing her boyfriend because he did nothing wrong. It really upsets me. Well, he did a lot of things wrong. He didn't do anything worth dying over. No. Yeah, but it, that's it's supposed to be kind of a tragedy. The police finally make it there, and they find her, and it looks like they're both dead, but then she opens her eyes and leans up, and he's dead in her lap, having having killed him, because she had no idea if it was him or not. They knock her out with drugs, and they put her upstairs, at which point the dad, Claire's dad... They still don't know that Claire is dead because nobody's gone up into the attic. Right. Uh, yeah, at this point, still, uh, by the end of the movie, you see Claire and you see the house mom upstairs in the attic. They haven't found them. They just found Phil and Barb. Mm-hmm. And so the dad collapses. Which, what kind of a police outfit doesn't check all the rooms in the right. house? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, Claire's dad collapses because he's coming to the realization that now real people in the sorority house are dead and his, his daughter is missing. So she's probably dead, too. Claire's boyfriend... He seems to be reacting just fine and is like, oh, my God, who's going to tell her boyfriend, not her boyfriend, uh, who's going to tell Phil's boyfriend that she's dead? And it's like, dude, you're Claire's boyfriend. How are you dealing with the fact that she's dead? he doesn't want to believe that she's dead. Right. And he does say to the father, I'm sure she'll turn up. And this is the moment when it would have been revealed that he was actually the killer, which is totally unnecessary. And we see that Jess is alone in her room. They all leave her alone. They all leave her alone to rest. Well, the the doctor was going to stay with her, but then the the dad Dad. collapses, so he takes him to the hospital. And then it's an exterior shot of outside, and the phone rings. I'm fairly certain that we hear Billy talk again. That may be the case. It's probably when we see the bodies upstairs Mm -hmm. in the attic. Uh, I I honestly don't remember. If, If it happens, I will put the sound right here. Okay. 
It's me, Billy. In any case, it's left ambiguous if Jess ever dies. But the phone's ringing, which usually indicates a murder is going to happen or mm-hmm. has recently happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's no excuse that she doesn't answer the phone because she's been drugged up. So that we don't know. We should also say that at one point, Jess thinks that it can't be her boyfriend because the police officer says, hey, you know, what? you had a fight with your boyfriend. He overheard that phone call. It sounds like things are pretty heated. Was there any time where you got one of these phone calls and he was there? And she's like, oh, wait, there was. He was here. Kelsey pointed out, yeah, he was upstairs taking a nap, Mm -hmm. which is also where the house mom's room is, which is where the phone call would have come from. Mm -hmm. You might have slept through it, but then it could have also been him. So it's not an alibi at all. So that's, yeah, that's why she thinks that it's him. Because she realizes that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When she realizes the phone call is coming from upstairs. Let's start the lightning round. I will start it off by saying this movie was made for just over $600,000, so not even a million dollars, and it grossed $4 million in the box office. That's before it became like a real cult hit on home video and on cable. So this movie did really, really well for itself. Just the box office is the equivalent of making today $21 million off of a $3 million movie. Like, that's nuts. That's insanely, insanely good. So we talked about Barb's terrible mouth that she has. And at one point, she, at the very beginning, when she's on the phone with her mom, she calls her mom a gold-plated whore. Yes. <laughs> You're a real gold-plated whore, mother. It's so good. I think it might be interrupted by some other dialogue. So uh, sorry if you hear that. But <laughs> uh, I will also say... I have this note written down. Isn't Santa naughty? Isn't Santa naughty? So this, at one point, they all go... Is it like a community service event? Uh, yeah. Where that they, sororities do have to do Right, really. yes, yeah, yeah. So they go to this house for underprivileged children. So like a boys and girls home or something like that. And they are doing Santa, but they are totally not invested in it. And the kids totally don't care. You know, one of the, one of the kids is sitting on Santa's lap. This is Phil's boyfriend. <laughs> And he's like, fuck, shit. <laughs> he's upset because his girlfriend's no longer going to be spending the holiday with him. She's, she's going to be spending it with Barb. Yeah. And he goes, ho, 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 fuck. Ho, 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 fuck. <laughs> it's, really it's really good. And so Barb says, isn't Santa naughty? And the girl nods her head all excitedly. And there's another point where Barbara is straight up feeding this kid liquor. She's like, I think he's schnockered. <laughs> I think the little bugger snockered, son of a bitch. Just totally <laughs> right, fucked up. Right in front of Claire's dad. dad. <laughs> yeah. yeah. At one point, before she's told him that she's pregnant, Jess, to her boyfriend, he says, I love you, and she says, I know. Like, ooh, this conversation is not going to be a good one. Also, the I love you, I know, made famous by Empire Strikes Back, didn't come until 1980. This movie did it first. <laughs> completely different tone (laughs) absolutely wasn't copied but yeah you get the idea so after the house mother has spoken to the father of claire she um she's annoyed because the father she feels like the father is blaming her for their actions i can't be responsible for everything every woman in this house does yeah and she says these broads would hump the leaning tower of pisa if they could get up there (laughs) 
<laughs> she's so great. She's really great. And the two and her playing off of Claire's dad is a pretty great combination. Yeah. What's an exchange? So, you might not know this, people, but back early, like, actually for many decades, they had exchanges. So, you know how we have area codes right now? They also did exchanges. So, before there were area codes. Different area codes. Area codes. No. (laughs) Before there were area codes, there were exchanges. You know, there were only so many phone numbers out there. And so, they'd roll out new exchanges as new phone numbers were added. Just like today, they roll out new area codes when new phone numbers are added. And so, you might have heard the term Klondike 5 such and such. Like Klondike 5 and then five numbers, right? So, Klondike is the exchange. And how you know how to dial that is KL five and then the string of four numbers you might know on a phone that kl yeah. is five five so that's just five 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 which so is the would, fake exchange that everyone uses they just have numbers why would it need to be the letters honestly i don't know that history huh. so if you know that history go ahead and write into us and maybe we'll share it on a, on a future podcast but i do know that that was the case they would say a word and the first two letters of that word were the exchange which were the two numbers that you entered in so you wouldn't, you know, you could tell that somebody lived in the in the Klondike area or whatever. They would, they get the five five. If you live in the Fellatio Exchange, you, you got the F E. So explain the joke. So a Fellatio is a blowjob. That's not what I meant. I meant say who says it and why. Barb has to give the house number to the Gomer Pyle type uh, Barney Fife cop, and. When she gives it to him, she's like, fellatio, and then she reads the rest of the numbers, and he's like, fellatio, and she's like, yeah, it's a new exchange. You haven't F-E. heard of it? Yeah, F-E. It's uh, fellatio 20880. Fellatio. It's a, it's a new exchange, F-E. And then as she's saying fellatio, she does this, like, finger to the mouth, looking down at his crotch kind of, like, thing, where it's like she's totally sexualizing this guy that she's not even attracted to, but that's just Barb. She makes everything sexual. She makes everything crude. And then there's one character who's literally laughing detective, I think is what he's named, in the credits, where he has very little lines. Very a couple. He has very few lines in this movie, but... The biggest part he has is just he knows that when the lieutenant sits down, John Saxton sits down to read the number and call the sorority house, what that's going to say on that paper. And he's already laughing (laughs) and he won't stop laughing. And it's a great moment when he has to call the the cop in and ask him about fellatio. Sergeant Nash, could I speak to you for a minute? What's this? Well, that's the number at the sorority house. Fellatio? Yeah, it's a new exchange. F-E. New exchange? Yeah, Felicia. One of the girls that was in this afternoon gave it to me. She gave it to you? Yeah. Nash, I don't think you could pick your nose without written instructions. I know. Something dirty, ain't it? <laughs> yeah, it's a new exchange. <laughs> and like, oh, I know. Something, something dirty. dirty. <laughs> he doesn't know what Malaysia is. He's, 
It's so good. It is so good. And then there's another point when when the lieutenant tells the laughing detective, don't laugh or I'll, or I'll bump you down to Boy Scout. But I love that character. It was really good. Later on when they're doing the, the search party, when they're doing the search party, it's just a little moment. Yeah. You notice that the guy who's in the brood, who's the boyfriend of the girl who died, He's warming up the girls. He's got his arms yeah. around them. He's no, he's, them he's really great. He's really sweet. Aside from the fact that he's a suspect and theoretically could be responsible for some of this stuff, he is he's a pretty great guy. And he's an example of how these boyfriends should actually be. And yeah, pretty great guy. Little side comment. That giant fur fluffy coat that he wears is his actual coat. And apparently he still owns it. <laughs> So why wouldn't the killer know that the phone was tapped? He was in the he was in the house when it happened. Why the hell wouldn't he know? Or does he just not care? He's up in the attic. I think it's a compulsion. Like why would he may be making these calls in the first place? There's no logical reason for him to do so. So at one point, Jess gets carolers, which is another reason why she doesn't hear one of the girls upstairs getting murdered. Yes. And I commented how strange it would be to get carolers, because that's never happened to me in my entire life. Uh-huh. Um, and then Chris told a story about the fact that he used to get carolers. Oh, yeah, all the time in my neighborhood. Every Christmas, we would get carolers, and, you know, you get a knock at the door, and you go to answer the door, and we would all go to the door and answer it. And then they'd start singing, and, like, me, my brother, my dad, we'd just walk away and leave my mom there because she's the last one. She can't walk away. And so at the end, you know, we, she'd tell us to get her purse or whatever, and she'd, she'd give him a tip, and she'd close the door. And she'd be so pissed. God damn it! <laughs> so that had really funny... Pleasant memories for me. That would be of Christmas so time. weird. Getting a it's weird, getting yeah. Carolers, and you just have to stand there with a stupid smile on your face. I'll tell you what's even weirder. I used to go to my aunt and uncle's and cousin's place for Christmas time. So on Christmas morning, we'd have it at home, and then we'd go to our cousins after that, and we spend the night there. And that night, we'd all go out this big group of like two dozen people and go around the cul-de-sacs and go caroling. I have been caroling. That is so weird. Yeah. And the money you get, we donate. Like, you don't keep it. When he kills Barb, it's it's very interestingly shot. So she's got, like, all these glass... Figures. Figures of, like, animals and stuff. In the 70s, that was totally normal. And especially a unicorn, which is the important one here. So he's talking, as he does, Mm -hmm. to Agnes and his parents and whatever... And he's murdering her, but we don't see her getting killed. We see her hands, and we see the glass figures. And eventually they shatter. But it was just such a different way to shoot it. I'm not sure why they did it. I couldn't really figure out what they wanted us to see from that imagery. But it was they, Like you said earlier, they did a lot of very really interesting stuff with framing. and things. Yeah, with, with, with the camera use. And we should probably point out at this point... Give credit where credit is due that the director of photography is Reg Morris, uh, Reginald H. Morris. And so he would have had a lot of say into how they frame some of these shots. So good on him. It's It's really interesting stuff. It's way more interesting to look at that bizarre imagery than it is to just watch a girl being killed. And it's not even like the genre had been around for a while and they needed to do interesting things to, to mix it up. This is one of the first slasher films. 
and they were already doing cool stuff. And you know, before where we talk about how Friday the 13th, if you go listen to that double feature, we talk about how, you know, yeah, we'd like it, but it's kind of boring when compared to all the other slasher films. It's even more so when you compare it to one of the first or the first Black Christmas and you see the interesting stuff that they do with the direction and the photography, really, really cool. And then you go and you watch Friday the 13th and they rip off the point of view thing and they kind of don't do anything else with it. Yeah, I think a lot of listeners, I think a lot of people would argue that it's way scarier to watch the crazy death scenes. But in my opinion, it actually desensitizes you. Seeing her hands flailing amongst her yeah. childhood glass figurines yeah. that she's obviously mm -hmm. kept, that's far more disturbing yeah, to me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Which is why I would, I would rather take a well-directed horror movie that's not explicitly violent over a violent one, which is also why we are not interested in movies like Saw or any of the torture porn and stuff like that, because I'm much more intrigued by photography that creates a sense of dread that makes you feel weird and sick and stuff like that. than just, Hey, here's blood and bone. Isn't that disgusting? Like, no, it does not affect me in any way. It's just kind of, Boring. Well, I would love to agree with you, and I do agree with to an extent. The reason I don't like torture porn specifically, because I, I can watch movies like Friday the 13th that are filled with gore and filled with yeah, death. Yeah, sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. And those movies to me are boring. Movies like Saw, where it's actual torture porn, where it's just like gritty and just watching a human being go through in a massive amount of suffering before death. Yeah. That's not boring to me, but it's also not scary. It's just gross. And it just makes me like, why am I watching this? Yeah. Mm -hmm. you like, know? what like, am I getting out of this? This isn't scaring me. Right. I'm not sitting here like on the edge of my seat like, oh my God, what's going to happen next? Which something like Black Christmas can do to me, even though I've seen it three times. Because it's really creepy to hear this guy talking in really mm -hmm. creepy voices. It's well, really creepy to watch these women be terrorized. This is a this is a philosophy that we'll probably talk about over the life of this podcast. But a lot of what makes horror so great is that it makes you face certain things, like your mortality and what makes you scared. And, and it makes you feel these emotions so maybe you'd be okay confronting them in real life. Like, that's one of the benefits of exposing yourself to horror movies but all torture porn really exposes you to is oh my body is a fragile thing like what's the the value in that is inherently less than what's in your mind you know like i, I know my body's fragile like whatever i don't think i'm some great superior thing so facing that kind of stuff doesn't do anything for me yes i'm fully aware of all the horrific things that you can do to me. Hell, we've done it in history. We we did it to our prisoners. Like, right. we did it to crazy people. Like, I'm fully aware of what humanity is capable of doing. And I'm fully, fully understanding of the fact that there are probably people sitting in the movie theater getting off on watching these people be suffering. But... None of that appeals to me. None of that scares me. It's just like it's it's on par. I would uh, say it's the fear equivalent of of Waja, which is an embarrassment by proxy, right? Like so, it's movies like Meet the Parents and stuff like that, where 
you get uncomfortable and you stand up and you, I got to get something from the kitchen because you're just so uncomfortable with the embarrassing thing that's that you experience bar- embarrassment by proxy for someone else. It's, it's that same sort of thing where you, you get kind of squirmy when you see the torture porn stuff. And it's like the squirminess is not a feeling that I like. And it's not even like, oh, I need to face that in myself. No, it's just it, it's appealing in no way, shape or form. But some people really enjoy that. And you know what? We're not here to yuck your yum. If that's what you're into, that's fine. We're not going to get into that here on on this show. We're not going to do torture porn stuff. We're going to do stuff like this where they do really interesting stuff with the way they frame it. And instead of just getting gory, which you can do interesting stuff with that. They suggest things and they bring out visual metaphor. Like you say, she's surrounded by these relics of her childhood as she's being killed by them. Like, that's fantastic. (laughs) This movie is way better than it has any right to be. Sorry, I shouldn't say right. Then it needs to be. It could have just been your basic schlock, but it wasn't. Yeah. So I think that's it for me. Rotten Tomatoes. What do you think? What percentage of reviewers gave this a positive review? 89. 67. Holy crap. Yes. This is technically fresh, but it didn't do that well. (laughs) So, you think underrated? Way underrated. Absolutely. I'd probably say 85. I'd say 89. If you're looking for old school horror movies, this is pretty high up there. It's pretty, it's still super creepy. Mm -hmm. It's the first time you see it, it can be scary. Yeah. Great acting. Amazing story that it didn't need. It had all kinds of facets that it did not need. Right. Fantastic. And the only reason I'm not giving a 90 is because I don't know what the fuck Billy's all about. (laughs) Well... We will see if the remake from 2006 has anything to say about that. Coming up next, it's Black Christmas again, the second movie of our double feature, directed and written by Glenn Morgan with credit to Roy Moore for writing the original and starring Michelle Trachtenberg, Harriet the Spy, and Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Who's that? She's Ramona Flowers from oh. Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. And and she's also in 10 Cloverfield Lane. That's the main character. And Lacey Chabert from Party of Five. She's also the one that keeps trying to make fetch happen on Mean Girls. Oh, okay, I know who she is. So. What year was it? 2006. Okay. So if you haven't seen it yet, please pause it and go watch it now. And when we come back, we'll talk about 2006's Black Christmas. 15 years ago, on Christmas Eve, His family became his victims. Now, all roads and airports are officially closed. This one is not going to let up. A group of college friends. That sucks. Everyone should be home for Christmas. Are about to discover their house. I got it. Is his home. All is calm. All is bright. My house tonight. And on December 25th, all he wants for Christmas is a new family he can treat like his very own. You're my family now. Black 
Christmas. Okay, so here's the thing. I feel like this needs to be addressed. We have done, this will be our fourth double feature. Friday the 13th was all right. It just kind of fell apart towards the end. Halloween was awful and should not have existed. The Wolfman, I can't believe how much I hated. Like, I really, really hated it. And then... (laughs) And then... And then there's Black Christmas. Kelsey? Yes? What would you like to say about Black Christmas? I couldn't tell if it was trying to be a horror comedy... Or if it wanted to be a gore fest. Or if it was just a piece of shit, just all together. It could have been all three. <laughs> I feel like it was all three. Like, it wanted to be a horror comedy. It wanted to be gory. And we'll talk about the gore and the and the story behind the gore at one point. I This, this is awful. It was awful. It was really bad. It was very bad. It was really, really bad. It was barely barely a black Christmas remake. It had sorority girls in the sorority house and it had a character named Billy and it had a little sister named Agnes. (laughs) Other than that, it was like completely different and it was nothing like the original. I don't know if I agree with that. I think it was a loosely made remake. Very loosely. (laughs) But I think it had more in touch with the original than you're giving it credit for. All right. Black Christmas was made in 2006 Written and directed by Glenn Morgan, who apparently had a personal relationship with Bob Clark, who directed the original Black Christmas. And part of the reason why Bob Clark was totally okay with remaking the the film, apparently, this may be apocryphal, but apparently is because this would allow them to get into the backstory that they didn't get to do in the original. Now, Kelsey, that was one of your big complaints. Personally, it was one of the things I really enjoyed about the original one. And all I have to say is, be careful what you wish for. So, the whole time we were watching it, I felt like the movie was making fun of its fans, of the original's fans. Yeah. I felt like they made the backstory almost as a Oh, you wanted to know? Right. Oh, we're going to give you a piece of shit story. It's going to be the entire, the entire content of the film is going to be this really shitty backstory over explaining and including really weird details that were completely unnecessary. I personally thought the entire backstory was unnecessary. They're like, okay, we'll give you a backstory and that's, we'll give you way too much of it. In the last half of this episode, I gave a comprehensive idea of what the backstory was for Billy. And this movie was like, yeah, we'll take part of that. It could be that. It's going to give you a whole bunch of shit you did not ask for. His dad likes him. His mom hates him because he has jaundice, which is totally a thing. It's a real thing that exists. But, I mean, I don't know if there's the deeply yellow uncurable kind of jaundice that they're working with in this movie. Like it's the, the yellow guy from Sin City. That's exactly what I was going to say. Parts of it, he's got this like glowing yellow skin, but other parts, he looks like a totally normal dude. Right. 
But I think a lot of that has to do with the lighting and the bad special effects on making the skin yellow. But, you know, there are there are medications you can take. Now, again, I don't know if there's anything that would make it permanent and that yellow. But apparently that's the reason why his mom, Billy's mom, hated him and his dad still loved him. And so she kills the dad so she can be with her lover, who's now Billy's stepdad, completely unnecessarily. They lock him in the attic because she hates him. And she's, hold on, I want to get through this. You're missing some stuff. I I know, that's fine. We can go back to it. Okay. They lock him in the attic because she hates him. She's having sex. She wants to have another kid that she can actually love. She's having sex with her new husband. And he passes out on the stairs. So she's like, huh, I could just rape the child that I hate. And that's how I'll have another kid. So now Agnes is not only his little sister, but also his daughter. And when he goes to kill Agnes one hall or one Christmas, he doesn't succeed. He ends up taking out one of her eyes and kills his mom and stepdad. And that somehow Agnes gets sent to the insane asylum. So does he. Agnes becomes infatuated with him and then starts killing in his name, like back at their old house, which is now the sorority house. Well, they're both there. Well, yeah, no, he shows up later. He only kills. I think, think there's only one confirmation of him killing a single person. And I can't remember which one that is, but it is a little ambiguous about who is doing more of the murders. I don't. Well, all but one apparently was Agnes. Are you positive? Yeah, because he he spends a lot of the time in the beginning breaking out and he doesn't show up until later. Yeah. And they don't explain how she gets out. He kills the he kills the sister, the older sister which is entirely pointless and has a lot of weird sort of red herrings where it's like she has no proof that she went to the sorority house. She has no proof that she's Claire's sister. There's not like it's totally pointless and it could have been fucking anybody. (laughs) This I, 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 how do you explain any of this? It's totally pointless. Yeah. Again, this is another movie that felt like there were a lot of rewrites. Yes. Play because it was the the plot only makes sense at certain parts. For a lot of it, it's just confusing and ambiguous and all of the place. The boyfriend, who there's only one boyfriend in this instead of two, nobody's pregnant, but there is an affair, kind of. It's really unclear because they have these two girls that look a lot yeah, alike. Yeah, a lot alike. It was confusing. And he slept with one of them before he was dating the other one. And then there's video of this. The part that sucks is that he took a video of yes. the girl oh, without, without her, consent, her consent. And then posted it on the internet. His friend did. But and yeah, so, that doesn't matter. It's and, not a good enough excuse. And so the girl that he was sleeping with in that video ends up dying. And then the other girl finds the video and then she's like, well, do you have videos of me? Are you going to post those on the internet? And that goes nowhere. <laughs> nowhere. Nothing happens with this. <laughs> it is entirely pointless. Just to throw some more story elements in it that are completely unnecessary. <laughs> I will say in Glenn Morgan's defense that he apparently disowned the film. He really doesn't like it. And he blames the Weinsteins... For supposedly bringing in all the gore. Well, and more. And asking for a lot more changes. And things that he didn't want to do. But at this point, he felt like it was necessary to stick around and protect the cast and crew. 
and and just get the thing filmed and hopefully salvage whatever he could. And what he ended up salvaging was garbage. And he hates this film. And he has apparently said that after he did Willard, do you remember Willard? Yeah, That's Willard another horror awful. movie remake about a guy who befriends evil rats. And we might do that. We might, we might, who knows? We might do that as a double feature in the future, but apparently that was god awful. I didn't even see it. It is. Um, I've never seen the original, but the remake is awful. So after that one failed, he said that if his next movie fails, he'll probably be run out of the industry. And this one failed, and he has literally not made another movie since. So that was definitely the case. But like I said, a lot of this had to do with production company involvement. This was produced by Dimension Films, which is owned by the Weinsteins. Harvey Weinstein, who has his own story, he doesn't really feature in this one too much. It's more Bob Weinstein, who insisted that it have more gore, and Glenn Morgan had to apparently constantly fight him on that. He also apparently orchestrated reshoots and shoots of scenes that were intentionally never going to end up in the movie intentionally he cast people that were not in the rest of the movie just so he can film stuff and put it in the trailers and it would never like entire characters that wouldn't that were never intended to be part of this movie and i guess mary elizabeth winstead who what's going on with her accent jesus um (laughs) she apparently called glenn morgan one day after after filming these and was like hey what's going on here and apparently that's how he found out and they were both really pissed off but that didn't stop dimension from releasing a trailer that has absolutely nothing to do with the actual movie i oh god there are two killers here i wrote down pretty early on so there are two killers because the first murder happens before billy escapes from the insane asylum. I didn't. Okay, I admit I did not get. It's very I, confusing. It took me a little bit to figure it out. But first, yeah, I was like, "Wait, <laughs> how did he get here?" I yeah, wait. no, he hadn't. He hadn't I'm yet. So it's so confusing. It's very confusing. I wrote down what's the chronology here. Uh, I then wrote, "Is Billy gonna save them?" Because that's where I thought this end was gonna go. Uh, because they got him a present. I thought it was going to be very trick-or-treat, where like they followed the rules and got him a present like the father that he loved. But that doesn't go anywhere, except to show that, oh, he gets them a present, which is so dumb. And I should also point out, Easter eggs, <laughs> the criminally insane wing of this insane asylum is wing 1225. Waka waka. I didn't see that. And I, I, when I first saw it, I was like, wait, (laughs) is this like a, are they telling the audience that it's Christmas? Is this, is this actually the number that I'm supposed to be seeing? This is when I was like, oh, this is trying to be a silly movie, right? Yes. But it wasn't silly enough. There were so many times that I was like, oh, I guess it's supposed to be a comedy. And then it would go back to not being a comedy. Right. (laughs) And, and again, to its detriment, I feel like if it really, really wanted to commit to the silliness, it could have been interesting. Like a Sam Raimi movie or something like that, but it wasn't. I wouldn't have been okay with it being a spoof, which is what I started to think it was. And that also attributed to my whole like, wow, you're just laughing at the original's fan base. But then it wasn't. And then I was like, okay, so they're just trying to bring a comedic element. But then they weren't. (laughs) It was... It was really bad. 
apparently one of the lines that this is again potentially apocryphal but one of the things that bob weinstein said to glenn morgan was we need to drag michelle trachtenberg down the hall by her eyes and he responded with oh lord (laughs) he talked to his agent and lawyer and he was humiliated and this is where he said that he tried to protect the cast and crew so that's all according to glenn morgan it may just be him trying to cover his ass but i believe him I just think he, it would have been better for him if he just left. Um, he wasn't doing any any favors to the cast and crew by sticking around. And I was pretty surprised at the cast. The girls are It's a all, good cast. Yeah, the girls are all fairly famous. You know all of them. Well, most of them. Yeah, most of them. And they all you are even relatively know, good actresses. And so I was like, what are you doing in this movie? You even know Andrea Martin, who played Phil... In yeah. the original, she's the house mother in this one, who is nothing like the house mother in the original. She's not funny. She's not interesting. Which is interesting because she's normally funny. Andrea Martin is a very comedic actor. You might know her from My Big Fat Greek Wedding, where she plays her aunt. I know her from that. I know her from the original Black Christmas. And I know her from In Search of Dr. Seuss. Oh, Fantastic right. Fantastic Yes, movie. yeah. So Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Michelle Trachtenberg and Lacey Chabert, Andrea Martin, like we mentioned, uh, there's no police officer. There's there's nothing with the police. As a matter of fact, the police can't get there for two hours because there's a big storm. But that, does, that's how much they didn't want an element that was in the original. But it does take a long time for them to even get on the freaking phone and call the police like there's so much stuff going on that you would think they would have already called and by the time they do call like her said there's like a snowstorm so they're like well we won't be there for two hours so let's let's talk about how it took them so long to get a hold of the police this all boils down to the big problem with remaking black christmas in 2006 now should point out the iPhone was invented in 2007 so everyone has flip phones that's totally fine you don't need phones that go online or anything like that but they have cell phones and they have caller ID. How do you deal with a movie where the big twist is that the call is coming from inside the house when there are cell phones and caller ID? Well, what they ended up doing was I thought pretty admirable, just the execution was awful, is that all these calls would come from the phones of people that disappeared. Mm -hmm. But that should also be a key indicator that something is wrong. (laughs) The last time you saw these people were in the house and every single one of them you know that somebody's in the house as a matter of fact and i wrote this down at one point they get a call it's one of the first times that they get one of the obscene calls which there are only like two or three of them in the entire movie there aren't a lot of them and they aren't really obscene right what your mother and i want to know is yeah which never happened you see the scene in the past where the bad thing happens right the, the stepfather never says what your mother and I want to know is where is Claire or whatever it is that the line is. Agnes. Agnes, sorry, Claire. Yeah. Oh, where is Agnes? You never see that line, even though you get to see the scenes where they're, where they're arguing and yelling at Billy. In any case, for that call, one of the girls looks at the caller ID and says that, oh, the caller ID says Claire's cell. Caller ID says Claire's cell. And that never goes anywhere. Nobody makes a note of it. Nobody's like, that's really fucking creepy because we're looking for Claire. And now this call is happening. Nothing. It's just like, should we call the cops? 
you really shouldn't antagonize somebody like that. They throw in that line for fun, but that's the line that interrupts the thought process of, hey, that says clear cell. It was so poorly executed. I, I. Mm. So it starts us off by introducing us to Billy's backstory, which we've talked about at great length at this point. It's a bunch of bullshit. Then we get to meet the sorority girls in present day. And one of them, who I'm, I guess is supposed to be Barb, she's drinking a ton of wine. And they don't really explain why she's such a heavy drinker. They no, she's just a bitch and she drinks a lot. They like, don't that's really give thing. her the same backstory that she got in the original, which is that her mother is a gold-plated whore, yeah. as, as Barb puts it. But you can <laughs> see her naked. When do we see her naked? I remember that. She throws up. And then this is when the eye is looking through the tile and the floor at her right. taking a shower. Right. Anyway, I was very, uh, like, well, sorority girls wouldn't really be drinking wine, I don't think. Maybe now, because wine has become such a thing to our culture. But back yeah. in 2006, they would Young have been Young girls drinking, in college. They would have been drinking a mixed drink or beer. When we see the criminally insane wing, we have the ridiculous laughter and the screams and stuff, just like you would see in a cheesy movie about a mental asylum. A lot of stuff in this movie was very cheesy. They say at one point that he, Billy has tried to escape every single year at Christmas time. And so they, you know, have extra stuff to make sure that he doesn't get out on Christmas. So... At one point, Billy puts a present through his little hand box thing. And the you would think that if they know that he tries to escape every single year, yeah, uh-huh. they would just, no, oh, whatever the hell this is, going straight into the trash. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, no, I'm not playing any of your games, Billy. But instead, this guy, this guard. The security guard, yeah. Looks at it and then opens it up and sees that. And that Billy is not in his chair like he always is. And he and, sees the hole in the wall, so he goes to look at it, and Billy's just under the bed. And it's so obvious. There, mm-hmm. I mean, just looking at it from where you could see it from the outside, you could tell there was no way a human body that is an adult could get through there. And then he stabs him in the eye with oh, the a eye. sharpened candy cane. Oh, yeah, which just he like gets, trick-or-treat. Yeah, but... There's no explanation of why there's this big focus on eyes other than the fact that when he attacks Agnes, he gouges out one of her eyes. And there's no explanation as to why he does that. He was just trying to kill her. And apparently he has, whereas before he attacked a girl in her closet and that's why he suffocated her. That's why she had that wrap around her face. Apparently he also has an obsession with wrapping bags around people's faces. That was because the mother killed the, the father that way. She put a bag around his Oh, face. I didn't even notice that. I thought they were just beating him over the head or whatever. No, the mom put a bag over the father's head. So that's where that came from. I can only assume that the the writers or the director or whatever it was decided to make the emphasis on the eyes because that's the only way that we got to see Billy in the original film. Was the eye? Oh, that's a good point, actually. That's what I assumed. But that doesn't give them... The okay to just carte blanche to fill the entire movie with eyeballs and never explain it at all. There is the one thing where you see his eye through the tile floor. I think you see it through the wall a couple times, too. Yeah. 
But like, there, it doesn't explain why he would be obsessed. You with never us. get a very good look at Billy, which I thought was funny because they gave him so much of a backstory. But we no, still you see him. Get to see no, him. you see him several times, just fully out and about, walking around. He has a short, but we don't get to see his hair. face very yeah, often. Yeah, you do. Sure, you do. It's just not interesting. He's just yellow, and so is his daughter, and kind of right. Like, where did her jaundice come from? She didn't seem to have that. And I'm pretty sure that Agnes is played by a man. Again, she is. Just yeah. like in Pet Cemetery, to yes. creep you out further, to make her look different, strange. Yeah, absolutely. Then we see the sorority girls again, and Phil, the original Phil, is trying to get everybody downstairs to pass out presents. Because this is the house where Billy lived and killed all of his family and he didn't get Christmas presents and all of that. They have this tradition where everybody gets Billy. Well, one, they, person. So one person is assigned to give Billy a Christmas gift for, for Secret Santa and he doesn't get one. Right. Does he ever get one? In this movie, no, because remember, it's the oh, right. girl yeah. from, mm-hmm. it's Ramona Flowers and she says, I think it's a bad thing to do or yeah. whatever she says mrs mack why don't you open the present we got you because we have to open billy's present first it's a 15 year delta alpha kappa tradition okay i i drew that name but can i say i'm sorry i'm just i'm really not okay with any of this i mean buying a christmas present for a serial killer no you see serial killers murder repeatedly for sexual thrill billy lens was a spree killer you just fucking lost it. Thank you. Oh, whatever, Melissa. Okay, I'm just offended by a, a pagan sacrifice to ward off evil spirits on Christmas. Anyway, so the girl, there's two girls, and I think one of them is like the barbed character who's super drunk, and the other one is the sweet blonde girl, and she's knocking on everyone's doors, but people aren't responding because they've disappeared because they've been killed, but she doesn't know that, so she's knocking on the door. Just one of them at this point, I think. No, it has to be the two, because... She knocks on the door. She doesn't get a response. And the drunk one says, it's Darwin Christmas. Yeah. It's whoever is first or is the winner. Or no, what, she said, what she said is, I can explain this one. Uh, this is after only one person died. Uh, they knock on the first one and nobody answers, right? And then Barb, the Barb character comes in and says, this is what's wrong when you grow up an only child. You don't know what... Being in a family with sisters, it's like, just bang on the door. You don't get down here, I'm taking all your presents. Claire, we're opening up presents. Okay, I realize that you're an only child, so let me explain. Christmas is just Darwin. The week get eaten. We're opening up gifts right now! If you're not downstairs in five minutes, your presents are mine! It was her, like, sisters behaving that way to each other. And so, when the nice one... That's the first door. That person, that's Claire, I think. She's been killed. So they move to the next door, and the nice one tries it out and bangs on the door and says something similar. And that's where person says, just fuck Christmas, or whatever it is <laughs> that she, she says. Because she sees the video. Exactly. And then that's when she's like, oh, is everything okay? Another storyline that goes nowhere, has no point, is... But I thought it was such a st- Darwin Christmas. Yeah, survival of the fittest. If you don't get out here, and yeah, no, it's dumb. It's dumb. The whole movie is dumb, Kelsey. That's the answer to everything. It's a really bad movie. These girls who are supposed to be like eighteen to twenty-one are definitely not in that right. age group. Mm-hmm. They are way older than that. Right. When we first see Claire, 
with the bag over her head. First of all, it's a black bag, so you don't even get the image of the head. Right. It's just kind of pointless. But it's more of a jump scare. It's got a loud noise and a boom, and then you see this black bag over a person's head. And that's not creepy like in the original, where it was just... Her in a rocking chair going back and forth with the bag over it. That's creepy. It's not creepy to just go bong and then have a black bag. You don't think it was creepy to know that that is where he used to live and that's the chair that he used to sit in. And so he puts her in the chair. But I'm not thinking about that. No, because it's dumb. There were several times that I was just like, why wouldn't this person be afraid of what's going on? And then every time I thought that, they qualified it by making the girls say it's not funny. Yeah. Because they um, all think they're being pranked. My response is, how often do people get pranked? Yeah. That you just, you're like, this is a really freaky situation. And therefore, my friends must be messing with me. That is not what I would go to. It's the way, it's what you're hoping is happening. Because otherwise, you need to admit that something scary is going on. And you have reason to be scared. So you try to rationalize that away. That it's, it's just a prank. We're being pranked. It is way more violent and gross. And we do not like. We don't like. It's a little silly, but some of it was just Jesus. Like the icicle through the face with the eyeball popping out the back. Like whatever. That's funny. Right. I'm fine with that. But the like reaching the hands inside like in Kill Bill and yanking out the eye. Like several times. Several times. It. It was completely unnecessary. Like, there's so much obsession with eyes and no explanation of it. I was confused about why the mother of Billy was so old in comparison to the father. She looked ancient. Yes, yeah. He was, like, in his 30s. He was maybe 40, and she was, like, 60. Yeah. It was weird. (laughs) But, I mean, hey, listen... If there are these age discrepancies in your relationship, that's totally fine. But I figured that would enter into it some way. Like, maybe that's why he was so submissive to her is because they started this relationship when she was the older, more dominant person. Like, maybe that's the explanation, but they don't talk about it. Well, they do say, this is something that you missed. They do say at the very beginning that... The, the mother and the father hated each other. Yeah. And the reason that she hates Billy so much is because he reminds her of her husband. Yeah. Not the jaundice. Yeah. Which, so why? Why was that even necessary then? And then there was this obsession with showing that the parents are always smoking. And I wondered if that was supposed to be where the jaundice came from. I don't know. If I don't think that get... has anything to do with it. Or maybe it's a birth defect because That's of that. That's what I'm wondering. Okay, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Because I don't know why else they would... It was such a focus, just like always, always having a cigarette coming out of the mouth every time we saw the mom. I will give you this, though. And the, the dad. The thing about there being two killers does give you one really cool thing, and it's the only thing that... Maybe not the only thing, but one of the only things that I really actually kind of enjoyed in the movie was... When Agnes falls in the wall crawl space, just like is in The Conjuring, she falls down to the bottom floor and Billy's coming at the girl from the top, from the attic, and she's in the middle and she's banging on the wall. And then that sister character is trying to smash through the wall to find her. She finds Billy first and then runs downstairs and and then gets her out. Like, I thought that that was that was really cool where you see Agnes coming up from the bottom Mm -hmm. and then Billy coming from the top in this really tight space. It was pretty neat. It was very tense. That was the 
I was going to get to that. That is the only part that I was literally like, oh, dear, what is uh-huh. happening? Oh, no. I was actually engaged. That's mm-hmm. the only time. She gets only pulled. time. <laughs> she gets pulled through the wall. So the baby carriage gets yanked down, which then pulls the Christmas tree, which has been lit on fire. And that sets the whole thing up in flames. And yet they both survive. They're placed into body bags and put in the morgue, but they're both still alive. How did that get by? I... Uh, then we have a strange interaction between the girl who plays Ramona Flowers and another random sorority girl who we don't even hear her name, I don't think. She picked her for the Secret Santa and she gives her this glass unicorn head, which is straight out of the original with Barb. And that gets used later to pluck out an eye. But... My question is, this girl is obviously the outsider of yeah. the group. Kind of like in the original with Claire being the virginal one that everyone feels disdain for because she's not wild and loose like they are. Yeah. But this girl, <laughs> who comes out of nowhere, who has no backstory, nothing, doesn't l- dress like a normal average girl would. Yeah, she it's a red herring. She doesn't look like a sorority girl. It's very odd she gives her the present and then Ramona Flowers just kind of hands it back to her and goes upstairs and the the weirdo girl's just like oh she like my present and then just leaves and and then she just ends up dead in the car and it's so pointless, pointless. you're supposed to think that she's Agnes as soon as you get the inkling That's what that I was Agnes wondering. is supposed to be alive that you get you get the feeling that she's supposed to be Agnes but she's not she's not and it goes nowhere you get her for that one scene, and that's it. So, this one chick with the big lips and the big cheeks and the big eyes. You talking about Lacey Chabert? Yes. So Lacey Chabert has this moment where she's talking about how she's a smarter girl than everyone gives her credit for. She knows what to do when lights go out, go to the breaker, etc. Yeah. So she's sent outside to fix the lights. And I think she hears something under the... Porch. Porch. Because she drops her cigarette through the hole and then she hears something moving. Yeah. And then she goes to check it out. I feel like that's where the other breaker is supposed to be. Is that where it I is? I think something like that. It's something really weird because they have two breakers. There's a main breaker and then there's the one that's inside the house. Like, okay, weird. It seems like she's just going under the porch to investigate the sound, which my response is, okay. If you're not of the belief that there is a killer on the loose, which she should have a little bit of an inkling that something bad is happening. Yeah. But let's just say that she doesn't think that. I would automatically assume it is probably some sort of animal, like a possum or a raccoon. And if I were to get under that crawl space... They could attack my face. <laughs> so I wouldn't do it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Even if there's I just There's something it was under an there. Even if it's not a killer, it there's could something attack under me. there. Right, yeah. And I'd be under this tiny sp- space and I wouldn't be able to protect myself. Have you ever been in a crawl space underneath the house? No. We have one underneath my house and uh, the one I, gr- I grew up in. I've been underneath that thing more times than I'd like to have been. <laughs> you got to get full on coveralls on and you crawl under there and there is not a lot of room to move around. And it's full of like spiders and shit like that, like all over the place. It's not a happy place to be. <laughs> I, 
if she didn't have to go under there, I don't know why she would have. It doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. So she gets a uh, a gardening tool to the back of the head. Yes. So then at some point they all go outside for some reason. And they think that the killer is outside. So they run back inside the house. Which, I get it. He's outside. Oh, dear. Why not go somewhere else instead of putting yourself in another spot where you are again constricted in mobility? Yeah. Well, and they try to wave that off with there's a big storm and... No, that, that's all they say is just that there's a big storm. As a matter of fact, they make a point of the fact that every other house on the street has power except for theirs. Mm-hmm. Just go to one of these other houses. Mm-hmm. They never even do that or talk about it once. No. Then at some point, one of the girls has him. She has been hitting him with something. She has Billy down. And then she just kind of... Throws away her weapon and runs away. And yeah. Runs away. <laughs> yeah. Why? Why? Keep would the you damn do weapon. That? Yes. Keep hitting him until Just he keep is dead. Him until he is dead. Yeah. Why do you stop? Why do you give him a chance to come back? Listen, serial killer or spree killer survival tip number one: If you have the upper hand and you have the villain on the back foot and you're hitting them with a weapon. Don't stop when they fall down. Continue to hit them until you've crippled or killed them. They are coming to kill you. You have every right to continue to do that. Yeah. And, the, and then when they when the cops do finally get there and they take them away in the body bags and they come back out, my response was, okay, so we're now making Billy into like a Halloween, like a Michael Myers character. He just can't be killed. Is that yeah. what you're trying to tell me? Uh-huh. But then he is at the end. Yep. Totally. But there is a moment where she stands there and she looks at him. He He's fallen and he's got, like, the, the tree topper through him or something. And she's looking at him. And, and then I, the, the music cue comes back up like something is going to happen. And then you just see people run down the stairs and it fades out and that's it. I literally wrote, is he seriously going to come back? No. Good. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> this piece of shit is over. <laughs> And this is also another one of those movies where it could have ended when that girl had him down and then she ran away. So it gave him more time to come back. Yeah. And then they got to the hospital and then he still came back. And then and it just keeps you, going and you, going and going and going and going. You said at one point, how long is this movie? Yes. Because it wouldn't end. <laughs> I feel like <sighs> we need to be clear. We can enjoy schlock horror, and we're going to see some really bad horror movies that are a lot of fun, and I'm totally fine with that. But this movie took itself way too seriously to be considered schlock horror, and it was just straight up bad. At no point was I, like, giggling with glee at how stupid characters were or anything like that. I have the capacity to do that. We just saw none of it here in this movie. I was very, very disappointed. So with that being said, Kelsey, Rotten Tomatoes, what do you think? (sighs) Remember, Glenn Morgan has not made another movie since. 20%. 14%. Good. (laughs) I'm glad that at least Mary Elizabeth Winstead got out of this fine. (laughs) Right? Because, I mean, Lacey Chabert and... Uh, Michelle Trachtenberg 
Where are they now? I don't know. Uh, I will say I was really excited to hear Michelle Trachtenberg was in this movie because she's Harriet the Spy. Oh, Jesus. This fucking movie. (laughs) So overrated or underrated? I think 14% is all this movie deserves. (laughs) Good. Good, good, good. All right. Well... That was one hell of a double feature this week. One of our favorite classic horror movies, especially if you narrow it down to seasonal horror movies. Might it be our favorite seasonal horror movie? I don't know. We'll have to see. We're going to watch some more. Yes. To one of the worst movies we've seen so far. And we saw The Wolfman last week. (laughs) So next week, Kelsey, what are we watching? We are watching the 1945 film of the Dead of Night. Yes. Which neither of us have ever seen. Nope. And the 2017 Christmas horror movie from Australia, Red Christmas, which we've also never seen. Yeah. So these are two movies that we've never seen before. Might be the first time that that's happened so far. I think so. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. We will have no prior knowledge of any of these movies coming into this. So make sure you come on back next week for that. Until next time, this has been Pod Cemetery. As always, don't forget to rate and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Email us at podcemetery at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Pod Cemetery. Where, you know what, Kelsey, I want to get you live tweeting the movies we watch sometimes. Uh, but then why would they need to listen? Well, because it's just your live tweets. And if people want to get that extra behind-the-scenes flair, they can. I think that would be a really nice element to the the Twitter account. Yeah. I can do that. I think that that would be great. Until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And as we say at the end of every episode of Pod Cemetery, Black Christmas, I gave you my heart. But the very next day, you strangled away. This year, to save me from tears, I'll lock all my doors and windows. God, what a shit fucking movie. It was really bad. Can we please... I want these next movies to be good, please. (laughs) Do you want to watch Dead of Night tonight? We can watch Dead of Night tonight, yes. Let's do it. What? Huh? Who? (laughs) Who? Pardon? (laughs) I wonder if she answers all of her phone calls that way. (laughs) What? (laughs) Why does Michael Myers do any of the stuff he does? They say that. He's just pure This guy is nuts. They say it in the movie. Why does a crazy person do anything? No, that's not in this. That's in Punisher that we were watching. (laughs)
Edit it out. Edit it out.